It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Welcome back to the Adult in the Room podcast. I am your adult in the room, Victoria Taft. Listen, this is how dystopia starts. I go to the streets of Seattle where I filled in on the radio this week for a day and talked to a business owner who feels as if he's stuck in a nightmare protection racket with the neighborhood drug dealers. It's a scene that's like right out of the wire. And in fact, it has more relationship with that show than you can imagine. And I'll talk about that as well. And uh, you'll want to hear my interview with him. In other news, we've got yet another institution in America that the left is trying to burn down. Let's see, they've already gone through, burned through the education, higher education. We, let's see, um, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> police, Teachers' colleges. Oh, yeah. Now, the judiciary. Yeah. In fact, it uh, might be the left's new slogan burn it all down. Just burn it all down. But on the bright side of this leaked opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court majority, we've reverted back to women only being impacted by abortion decisions. Well, it's not for the lack of trying, uh, but spread the joy because women are now only the ones having babies. Enjoy it because in a very short time, our friends on the left will revert back to form and demand that we stand up and salute the notion of men having babies. Remember, that was just last week. The pregnant man emoji on Facebook has taken a pause, but it won't be for long. And before you know it, we'll be back to Not mothers, even though we're coming up on Mother's Day. We'll be back to birthing persons, menstruating men, boys who need tampons in their school bathrooms. Doubt me? Have a visit to Oregon. In other words, the Believe in Science crowd will be back to rewriting the laws of nature and the laws of man, the spiritual laws, and they'll be back to reporting us as terrorists. Now a clerk or someone who works closely with a justice at the U.S. Supreme Court, leaked to the Politico website a draft copy of a decision basically blowing up known abortion law for the past 50 years. But the good news is, even though plenty of governors who want to be president, let's face it, looking at you, Governor Hairgel, um, they are screeching that they are going to protect women, as if women can't protect themselves. But it's nice to know somebody's got their back, protecting them from the party of the handmaid's tale. (sighs) Washington State Governor Jay Inslee, who has closed churches but kept abortion clinics open during the pandemic, who has forced out police officers, firefighters, teachers, and other government employees for not taking the COVID shot, who has overseen more incomprehensible lockdowns and forced shots, mask and vaccine passport mandates, and who has not yet, after two years, relinquished his emergency powers, actually said this with a straight face this week. Washington state was a pro-choice state. Mm -hmm. Washington state is a pro-choice state. Mm -hmm. And we're going to fight... We are going to fight like hell to keep Washington a pro-choice state. That's why we're here today. And nothing changes that. Nothing. Nothing. And we understand the nature of the challenge. 
That's how we have to fight. And the reason is, is the forces of oppression who want to have the government intrude in Washingtonian's <laughs> most private decision are after the right of women to have access to abortion in our state. Absolutely no self-awareness. He has done nothing but force people to get shots. Required them. In fact, the state apparatus has said that it would not give transplants to people who have been on the transplant list for years without getting a COVID shot, which may or may not be good for them. That's how bad it has been in Washington state. And, you know, nothing changes because as if you if you read the, the opinion and or read a story about it, you know, or you should, that it no longer is a federal function to require certain viability and or undue burden stuff uh, over abortion. It goes back to the states and people get to vote on it and argue about it in debate. They just don't want the debate because, hey, wait a minute, even though it was it's like Plessy versus Ferguson, the separate but, but equal ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court, separate but equal. Oh, yeah, it's fine. Sure, it's just fine until it wasn't fine. And they blew it up because uh, they should have because separate but equal is is uh, inhumane, as we found out. I don't need to go over that because you and I already agree on that, of course. So then the other thing is Governor Hairgel. Governor Hairgel in California is very, very upset that there is a an abortion win for babies and uh, and that babies don't vote. Should taxpayers be funding people coming from other states to come here. What does a sanctuary state of California look like? But when people come in for care, we take care of them, period. That goes to your Oh, question. tough guy with other people's money. Regardless of their ability to pay, regardless of their status across the spectrum. What's your message to the woman right now in California or in another state who is scared? What is your message to them about what California is going to do? You matter. We care. We have your back. We love you. We respect you. You'll notice he says he doesn't respect the U.S. Supreme Court decision that may or may not be coming down in its current state a little bit later in June or whenever they decide that they're going to release it, which they should do post haste. Uh, People who are illegal aliens or people who want to come and get an abortion, they will pay for that person and they will respect them and they will they'll love them. But does he say that about his political opponents? Never, never. Never. Now, there's all this hubbub for an election year issue now because their guy is flagging in the polls and it has to do with inflation, gas prices, food shortages, supply chain disasters, forced mandates, leaving Afghanistan in a lurch with 13 dead U.S. Marines and funding a war against Russia using Ukraine as a proxy. This is insanity. This is like circling the drain. This is bad. But sure, abortion. And to that end, there's been rioting in Los Angeles. After news of the toppling of Roe v. Wade was announced and no one had read the opinion, this is what it sounded like. Fuck out of here! Fuck out. What are you going to do, bro? Are you going to shoot me? Are you going to shoot me, bro? Are you going to shoot me? What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Huh? 
You look scared, bro. Those eyes look scared. You look real fucking scared right now. What's your name, huh? DHS? What's your name? What's your name, DHS, huh? What's up with that gun right there, huh? Why are you putting that at me, huh? He's not pointing it at him. He's in low ready. Why'd you point that at me, F this, F that? You know, just another day that ends with a Y in Los Angeles, and they're they're having an excuse to get together in the streets and riot. So there was a declared riot there. And then the Antifa wing of the left decided they'd go to church. I mean, these people don't believe in God, but nevertheless, they're going to church and they're wearing their Handmaid's Tale robes and such because that's, that's their new uniform. And so they decided to disrupt services at Catholic Church, which they're also planning to do on Mother's Day. La 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 la, blah 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 blah, blah 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 blah. Same playbook every time. I'm done with these people. Oh, and then at the very start, when they got the Renamobs out there the the night that the leak hit Politico, there were paid protesters in front of the Supreme Court. They had the fences out in advance. They had the protesters had signs already made up that had been printed. There were uh, chants already uh, memorized. Hey, hey, ho, ho. Has got to go because you can't tell what they're saying because there's no room. We discussed earlier on the radio. There's there's really no room to put what they want to put into the something something's got to go. So it always turns out to be hey hey ho ho oh got to go hey hey ho ho. You get the picture. And now, of course, there's the expected riots outside the home of the Supreme Court justices because some brainiac uh, these people in the uh, red capes that started the protests initially, are going back. And in fact, they have offered pay for some of the artists to do some art in front of the justices' houses. That'll be lots of fun, won't it? Hey, come on over, guys. Oh, here, here's a map. Put the addresses of all of six justices, all six justices who are more conservative-leaning, or at least... uh, (laughs) John Roberts was there. What do you expect? Um, But um, nominated by a Republican. And so that's happening next Wednesday. They doxed them all. They put their, I mean, it's a national security issue. Can you imagine? Now everyone knows where the Supreme Court justices live, like Antifa and BLM and who knows what. The Summer of Love in the DMV. That should be fun. So they helpfully gave out the addresses of the judges so that they can peacefully walk by their house. And then they'll sort of leave it open like, oh, well, we didn't know that Lisa Fithian shut down D.C. and Tifa and BLM would read our website. It's not our fault. (sighs) But I ask again, who's read this? Let me read a couple of excerpts from the opinion leaked by that person who broke the rules of the Supreme Court, thinking they were more important than us, security. 
because you know they haven't. So I put these excerpts in the West Coast, Mest Coast update, uh, which I call naturally West Coast, Mest Coast update. And it is the latest edition called the Abortion Contortion Distortion Edition. Now, here are a couple of uh, salient quotes from the opinion. First of all, Roe was on a collision course with the Constitution the day it was decided, writes Sam Alito, and Casey perpetuated its errors and the errors, that's Casey, the decision that subsumed Roe v. Wade and changed it from a viability standard to a standard of undue burden for the mother. And so the errors do not concern some arcane corner of the law, rather wielding nothing but, quote, raw judicial power. The court usurped the power to address the question of profound moral and social importance that the Constitution unequivocally leaves to the American people. So that's why these governors are crying, uh, because they're going to have to have the discussion with their constituents, and they don't want that. They want it to be settled law. Well, it's not settled law. It was terrible law. Everyone, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg said it was a horribly decided Decision, And in fact, if you read the opinion, you'll find out that a lot of lefty judiciary watchers and Harvard educated poobahs like Lawrence Tribe said, yeah, this is this sucks, man. This is bad. This is really bad. So for 50 years, there's been this myth, this shadow, this uh, zombie law that uh, was done away with in 1992, by the way, with the uh, passage or the opinion of the KCV Planned Parenthood decision. And so that didn't bother him because that was upheld, you know, abortion. Well, we can have abortion. But what it did was codify into law or, you know, judicial uh, precedent, the no basis upon which abortion was relied on the Constitution. Nothing. There was not at least read the read the opinion. So so what's interesting is now they go, we don't have the authority for this. It's not like they're arrogating power to themselves at the Supreme Court. They're saying, you, you have the power to do this. That's why they go, this is anti-democratic. No, it's it's perfectly democratic. It makes a hell of a lot of sense. So but people don't understand I don't think they're teaching and I don't think they fully appreciate the triumvirate, if you will, of government, how they interwork and how it is not a super legislative authority in residing in the Supreme Court. It's just not. It never should have been. It never should have. This never should have happened. I mean, when you think about, well, yeah, go ahead and lock up all those Japanese people. Yeah, that's a good idea. And then you come back and go, oh, yeah, that whole Karenotsu story, I don't know, that was a pretty bad idea. Plessy versus Ferguson, well, you know, I don't know. What's the other one they like to uh, talk about? The the U.S. constitutional decision that allowed business owners not to not to have any standards of safety for their employees. Like that went out the window. I mean, who's to say that precedent's not sacrosanct? It's nice to have so you can rely upon it in further furtherance of uh, making decisions and uh, ordinances and all this sort of thing. Uh, of course, it's, it's it's important, but it's not sacrosanct. It is not the tablets from the from the mountaintop. If it's if it's a wrong decision, it should go. 
This is where human lives depend. And in that balance, it goes to the vote of the people. If you want to vote to do that, have at it. I will not agree with you, but I will not come into your house and screech at you either or set Molotov cocktails in front of your door or anything else like that. Here's another one that Alito put in there. Roe found that the Constitution implicitly conferred a right to obtain an abortion, but it failed to ground its decision in text, history, or precedent. It relied on erroneous historical uh, narrative. It paid attention to and presumably relied on matters that have no bearing on the meaning of the Constitution. Oh, is that all? (laughs) It disregarded the fundamental differences between the precedents on which it relied and the question before the court. It concocted an elaborate set of rules with different restrictions for each trimester pregnancy, but it did not explain how this veritable code could be teased out of anything in the Constitution. The history of abortion laws, prior precedent, or any other cited source, and its most important rule, that states cannot protect fetal life before viability was never raised by any party and never plausibly explained. Roe's reasoning quickly drew scathing scholarly criticism, even from supporters of broad access to abortion. And then Alito gives all kinds of uh, examples of that. He quotes Lawrence Tribe in it. He quotes uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This elaborate scheme, you know, the viability thing that they made up, This elaborate scheme was the court's own brainchild, Alito said, quoting, neither party advocated the trimester framework, nor did any party or the amicus argue that viability should mark the point at which the scope of the abortion right and the state's regulatory authority should be substantially transformed. Other than that, it was great. Other than not having any basis whatsoever in the Constitution and uh, history, precedent, anything. Yeah, it was great. That's great law. Huzzah. Uh, Anyway, it's lawless. It is lawless. And that lawlessness, that disaffection, in some cases, uh, if you will, greed and hubris and to some extent hopelessness driving this kind of behavior, this crazy stuff going on in the streets. What's going on there has an impact on people locally. It does. Not just if you're in the DMV, not just if you're in Seattle and Portland and L.A., Not just inside the the beltway. It's trickling down to everyone. Lawlessness. If there aren't riots to watch out for, Antifa taking a skateboard to your windows or your customers or their buddies in BLM helping them loot stores and set the police cop shops on fire, as happened in both Seattle and Portland during the Summer of Love, the little guy is getting it. He's getting hit. Now, ignoring the wisdom of The broken windows theory of policing, which cleaned up New York City in the 1990s, is on full display in Seattle. Business owners say the problem has really grown over the last couple of years. Today, the mayor told me the situation along 3rd Avenue is completely unacceptable. The city attorney calls it intolerable. And some people who live and work in that area say they just don't feel safe. 
Triple Door, this live music venue, they're adding more boards to the building and filling up buckets with broken glass after someone hurled a rock through the window. I got 200 people in that room over there. I'm trying to do business, you know, even with this. Owner Rick Yoder says it's the fourth break-in in the last two years. It happened overnight. And on Sunday afternoon, down the street at 3rd and Pine, a man was shot and killed. Horrible. He says crime downtown is getting worse. This is a travesty for our city. After the weekend's deadly shooting, the owner of this 3rd Avenue business says they're closing this location for now. And on Yoder's block, he says other businesses have done the same. It's vacant from here north until until you get to the Walgreens. This is the transit center for the whole city. The Pike Place Market, our largest public attraction. We need help. And that was last February. Farther down the street from that business owner in downtown Seattle, you know, the Emerald City. Now, this guy. Meet Josh Center, the owner of Club Dogfish in Belltown. Just down the street from that club owner. It's a doggy daycare. Center gets more help from drug dealers near his business than he gets from the police. And that, in and of itself, makes for a tenuous relationship that is right out of an episode of The Wire, with which Josh is thoroughly familiar. How long have you dreamed about having a doggy daycare? I've had other doggy daycares. Uh, This is not my first. Um, This is the first that is 100% mine. Um, I had to leave the state um, that I was in to open something that was all mine as a non-compete. But um, I have a... I'm from D.C., so I have a place in D.C., and... um, uh, we had a few other places uh, just in the outskirts. What's worse, Seattle here, D.C.? So, someone that grew up in Baltimore. Someone that... Wow. Um, so, I was thinking, you know, when I shared your story... I'm just not used to the downtown? Or- no. No, I was thinking this sounds like The Wire. Yeah, well, I actually, um, when I was around 19, 20, The Wire was filmed in the parking lot outside of my um, building in Baltimore. Uh, so so you, 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 you lived in the projects. I, I did. Um, you know, I was homeless at um, 16, um, being gay. My parents weren't down with that and so I was out on my own on the streets of Baltimore at a very young age and um, have you made amends with them now or they made amends with you (laughs) you know you talk we look at me trying to be a social yeah I mean (laughs) I'll see her on the holidays you know but and it's cordial but um, we don't usually talk too much between I mean that we do live thousands of miles apart so makes it easy to do makes that. it easy to ignore family but um i get along well with my grandparents my siblings and everyone else but um yeah it it, it uh it's it's cordial with parents but um that's honestly how i got involved with dogs um i was doing so as a teenager i was doing what i had to do to pay for my apartment and things and so I ended up making some connections with the Baltimore police and they got me involved as a dog trainer and I mean I grew up on a farm I had lots of experience and um, that's kind of how I just got involved with dogs and people wanted me to watch their dog when they went out of town so many opinions oh Keely (laughs) so um, and then it just kept growing I wasn't it was never in my 
plans to make a doggy daycare, but I just kept getting more and more clients and eventually I had to get a brick and mortar. I couldn't do it out of my home anymore. And um, so I found someone that also was in the similar boat and kind of looking for their first brick and mortar. So we went in 50-50 and uh, that was my first place. And we grew really fast, bought out competitors, expanded our business. and. I wanted to do something that was on my own. So I lived in Seattle um, 12 years ago. I was familiar with down the area down here. Yeah. And so I knew that this is where I wanted to be. And um, so I'm no stranger to downtown situations. I've always opened my daycares in very densely populated areas. And um, this is the first time I've ever had any break-ins, much less four in the two and a half months, you know? So it's pretty shocking. I didn't think that I would ever have felt safer in Baltimore or DC than I do here. You know, I mean, Seattle's generally a pretty tame place, but um, Third Avenue just doesn't get the attention that it needs. You know, I mean, we need we need police, we need social programs, we need everything down here. Um, this whole street's full of social programs and and hotels and SROs. Although. I know that the one down here uh, on the corner has stopped taking new clients uh, during COVID. So if you weren't a client before the pandemic, they're not taking any new um, clients. So SOL. So here you are. Um, you, you're taking on shouldering those kinds of burdens as well. Sort of looking out for the people around you. Yes. And yet you're also being victimized by some of these same people. Yes. Who's breaking in? Do you know? Uh, so... And what do they do when they're in? I know two, I have two of their faces. Um, they're not homeless. Um, the first time they broke in, they didn't do anything. Um, they broke in, they came in through the window and I guess looked around, but this was our first week open. We didn't have anything in here and we still don't. I don't have retail. I don't take cash. Um, we lock up our computers at night, you know. So I just had a broken window the first time. A block away, 4th Avenue is teeming with tents, drugs, hookers, and addicts. Josh has been broken into four times in the three or four months he's owned that business. Four times, mostly by people who break his front window, which costs $3,200 to fix. He has a $2,000 deductible. Do the math. The drug dealers have made a deal with you, right? Um, I haven't really made a deal with them, but um, I don't bother them. And they, in turn, chase people away that hang out in front of my building. Um, I've <laughs> I've seen uh, a few of them, you know, actually like throw things and like just like comically like push people away. Like, no, I told you to move, you know, if mm-hmm. they don't listen to them. So... Uh, and a lot of times they catch it before I do. Even this morning, I was hanging out in the back with the dogs, and I heard some commotion out front, and I poked my head out to look, and it was one of the drug dealers telling somebody, no, you cannot hang out in front of this place. So, And in the quid pro quo is that you not call the cops. Yeah, I don't call the cops on that. I mean, even if I, for the first month I was here, I tried that, you know, and it just didn't yield any results um but the hang you know my little i guess not unspoken agreement with the drug dealers is um that i don't bother them and 
they'll keep an eye out on for my place when I'm not around. And you, you described it as a protection racket. Yeah, it's what it feels like. Um, I I feel like because it's not ideal for me to have to tolerate drug dealers around here either, but having them look out for me is still preferable to no one looking out for me. And I do feel like I have to put up with a good bit in exchange for, you know, someone to watch my back. And, um, so you came up, you lived in the projects in Baltimore and they literally filmed the wire in the parking lot of your, your, yeah. Project. Yeah, that, that was the uh, the copycat building in Baltimore. It was an old printing warehouse, and a bunch of students just kind of made a home out of it. <laughs> I you squatted? Even... You were squatting? No, no, it, we were renting, but it was a rundown warehouse. <laughs> and so, but probably... d- doesn't this remind you of that that show? I don't know if you ever watched it, uh, but the protection rackets, the extortion rackets that. I mean, you're you're caught up in an extortion racket. Uh, that's the way I feel. Yeah, I really do because. The drug dealers are the only ones that have been out here for me. Not my landlord, not the apartment building here, and police and the city don't show up. Um, I will say, um, in their defense, uh, whenever I've contacted them, um, uh, the attorney general's office and the deputy mayor, um, I've reached out to both of them a few times about this, and they both get back to me within 24 hours. So I know that... Do they get back to you to tell you they can't do anything about it? Well, yeah. (laughs) Anne recommended that I start speaking to the media. Uh, She said if I want to make some noise and get the deputy mayor to... Because the deputy mayor is the one that's responsible for security. Uh, So it's her office that I need to appeal to. Um, And... Uh, last Wednesday, Anne happened to mention us in a speech, not by name. Um, she, I, I don't know what exactly she said, like a doggy daycare on third, maybe, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, that's when Cairo uh, did their homework and found us. And I hadn't planned, I'd already told Anne that I would be willing to speak, you know, if anyone contacted me. And I was just out walking dogs. And then I had Cairo here in my lobby when I came back. <laughs> so I was not expecting it, but um, it happened. And um, I, I need to make noise to somebody mm-hmm. because nothing's happening by just calling through the proper channels. Uh-huh. So if I need to speak to Cairo or you or anyone else just to bring awareness to what's happening down here on third, then that's what I've got to do. I love your logo. Thank you. Changing the subject very briefly. Yeah. My boyfriend did that. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I wish you well. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I I hope for you security and no more of this fear-inducing crashing of the windows and stealing your stuff. Now that there's not a lot of stuff to steal. No. No more stuff to steal. He wants to buy a garage door to buttress his front window when he's not there, but that's $26,000, which is more than he can afford right now. After the fourth burglary, police finally got in contact with him when one of the neighbors called. They helpfully told him to buy cameras for his store. 
If they'd responded after the third break-in, they'd know they'd been stolen. The number of Seattle cops are at record lows. Why? Because COVID restrictions, demanding healthy cops get COVID shots, have forced cops to leave. They didn't want the shot. Firefighters, out of there. A lot of people. And they've been fired for not being able to get that shot or wanting to get the shot. So between cops leaving and then fired... And then the Seattle riots caused the woke city council to reduce funding for the cop shop. They are at critical low levels. Seattle, they have, you know what? They have to have people on overtime to just cover the regular routes, to cover the regular areas that they patrol. Seattle has camp counselors they send out to respond to calls, but they don't respond where drugs or violence have been reported. So guess what? They can't help Josh and the neighbors because putting rocks through your windows to steal stuff, to fence, to buy drugs is violent and has to do with drugs. The system that was put in place to help each other is disintegrating. There is hope, though. I mean, there must be, right? When you're left to negotiate with drug dealers to assure the safety of your place in exchange for not calling the non-existent police for help, well, that's a bad place to be. San Francisco, here we come. It's like, hmm, what do they call it? Oh, yeah, dystopia. Till next time. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple Podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs. And it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed.